This is a special crossover episode that we did with the hosts of the Ute Zone Blockcast with our reactions to the Morgan Scally news. Enjoy the bonus episode, and we'll be back with more content on Given Hell Brigham next week. Welcome on into the Ute Zone Blockcast. Man, we're back. Boys, it's good to be back. Brian, Cam, good to see you. Joining us on our return episode to podcasting uh, are actually the Give Em Hell Brigham podcast. Uh, Jeff Hansen, Garrett McClintock joining us uh, today. Fellas, how are you guys doing? Doing, doing pretty good. Uh, it's the, I didn't realize this was the return, that you guys have been on a little bit of a hiatus. We're coming back, I know. Need to pad the numbers a little bit, so you have to invite us on, but we're happy to help. There's one thing I do on the blockcast. It is pad the numbers, and I am so certain of that. I am thrilled to be making my return. I had no idea it was like the Resurrection podcast. Uh, I'm so happy to be here now. I was like, no no joke. But now I'm pumped. No joke. We put out a survey uh, the other day on Twitter and on the Ute Zone boards, and like multiple people were like, hey, it'd be cool if Jeff were on more often. Yeah. Get Jeff. So, hey, you should get Jeff on. He should just host. It was we're probably all Jeff. Jeff responded three different times to the survey. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff does technically own this podcast still. So, I mean, it does make sense that people would want the owner to be on here. There's an expiration date on that ownership, though. There's, we got to figure that out, man. We got to get it back. He may renew today. We, we're, we're only he, a couple minutes might. into this thing. <laughs> the carnage from the last time was severe. I don't know that Steve and I, we tried to pull the ship out of the iceberg and had no luck whatsoever. Um, no, I just sank with the iceberg there, Brian. I just, I let it take me down. It was awful. It was you uh, and so- me. Steve was on the door. I was grabbing your hand as I slipped off into the cold abyss. Yeah, yeah. That was the end of the so, podcast. So. so here we are, back again in the summer, and, and obviously today the big news, uh, Morgan Scally reinstated uh, at the University of Utah's defensive coordinator following a near-month-long investigation into his conduct as coach uh, at the University of Utah uh, following uh, accusations uh, and admittance of the usage of a racial slur in a text to a recruit uh following the investigation uh he's now been reinstated and will resume his duties as defensive coordinator and 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 so that's what the topic today is going to be about uh and we invited jeff and garrett on to get some outside perspective of of maybe the what it's like uh you know viewing the 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 view of the program what this looks like you know for somebody that's not doesn't have the red goggles on that, you know, is biased the other way. And so I uh, just wanted to, uh, to get these guys on here and, and that. But let's start with just initial reactions to the news today. Um, Brian, let's start with you. What, you know, because you, you know Morgan on a, on a different level than the rest of us. You have a, a little bit of a personal relationship with him. You know, for you, what was it like seeing Scally um, and, and, and knowing that he's reinstated at Utah. Uh, well, I mean, I think the whole process has been 
challenging to to say the least. Morgan is is almost like family to me in some ways because we grew up so close to one another. You know, went to the same high school. Granted, we we're more than a few years apart, um, but it's like watching. I mean, I not not necessarily a brother because we're not that close, but it's someone that you genuinely care about. Watching them go through that is so difficult, and you want to jump in and and rescue their character and everything like that. But at the same time, you're trying to balance the fact that you are a, a, a media member that covers that institution, and so you want to be fair and balanced. And so, it, essentially, what it was is is me sitting back and, and trying to take everything in and, and trying to stay open-minded to what other people were saying while knowing deep down inside that this is not who Morgan Scally was um, uh, and how it was, how it was framed more or less. But that being said, I think if you go from the day the news broke on that Friday to now, uh, I think most people would have said on that Friday that he was done and they were probably never going to come back to Utah. And it was getting super, super dire over the weekend as players were coming out and things were being treated and, and nothing was really being misunderstood and filtered. Now it did clarify a little bit that following Monday, as we were able to get more uh, information and whatnot and, and more players came forward with more clarification. So I think the overall uh, result is positive for Utah football in terms of this is a man who has really helped to build this program so much um, and you don't want to completely abandon people like that. But in, in reality, this is not acceptable behavior. And, and especially now where we're at in, in, you know, civil justice and everything like that, that's going on in this world, the, the social justice, I should say. And so I think it's a positive for Morgan. There's no way that he was going to get a job of this caliber this late in the year anywhere else um, for him to be able to keep the job at any salary, let alone just 50%. Um, it is it shows the goodwill, I think, and the the good uh, credit that, that he's built while he's at Utah. You know, some of the statistics around what he's done uh, for minority communities while he's been at the University of Utah are, are tremendous. And the number of players that he's had graduate and everything like that. And I think that's really what kept him on board more than anything. That And, you know, I, I know there were plenty of families that came forward that vouched on his behalf. And, and especially, you know, his boss was very, very adamant about the fact that this is something that Morgan would make positive. And so I think from a situation that was so, oh, just icky. Like, like I don't know if there's another way to describe it, right? It was just gross and, and nobody really loved, wanted to go through it. And, and so from a situation that devolved so quickly and was so difficult to navigate to have him to where he has a chance to redeem himself with the university, where the program has a chance to stay on track and build this into a positive, I think is, you know, for, for where it started, it's a, it's a good finish. Garrett, I'm curious to get your thoughts and, and just your initial reaction to it all. Just, you know, you're, you're based out East, you know, out on the East coast and, and that kind of thing. And so I've just, Curious to, to hear, you know, your thoughts on it and, and what your reaction was to it all. I mean, I think on a national level, like you said, it's, I mean, because a similar thing even happened out here at Clemson, you know, kind of an exact same scenario and it happened around the same time. And now even on a national level, people really aren't talking about it. So I'm sure this will rear its head. It's not going to completely go away because opposing coaches are going to use opposing coaches who are the kind that try to negatively recruit will use this, especially if they're recruiting a DB that Utah's also talking to. But, you know, it was my initial kind of reaction was, okay, well, that was a long time ago. And the player in question ended up signing with Utah was, you know, came there. So it's like, it's, it was resolved with the person that 
you know, directly is it, you know, was involved. So if they were okay with it and made amends, then, you know, it's just, it's a really bad look, but it's not, you know, and obviously if it was ongoing, but then kind of like what Brian said is through that first weekend when there were multiple other former players coming out, it's kind of like, Oh, this is really bad. And I remember there was one national reporter who was like, people don't just say that one time. Like it's, you know, you either use it all the time or you like, you know, you don't just say that word just once. And so as more players came out, it kind of looked bad. And, you know, and I was where the longer it went on and since action wasn't taken quickly, I think it became apparent that it was, you know, kind of going to see like, okay, well, let's kind of see where this runs and what happens. And obviously reading the report today, um, you know, there were some parts where it was like, okay, yes, it, you know, there were things that happened. He acknowledged them. Hopefully, you know, people, should be able to acknowledge their mistakes and change their, or, you know, and people did come forward and vouch for him um, and say, you know, like, look, I was a minority player. I didn't have that experience, whatever. I was kind of, the kind of biggest surprise to me was there was another mention of something that happened, not as bad, but where he kind of made an improper joke just like in 2018 um, about, it was like to some Polynesian or native students or players. And so that was kind of like, okay, well, if this happened in 2013, now today it's like 2018, how much has he really changed in the last year, year and a half? Um, so that was kind of my biggest question. But I, I think the biggest thing for me in terms of like, I get, okay, take off the head coach and waiting tag. That makes sense. Take off the, you know, go back with the salary cut. That makes sense. Um, I would have liked for all of that salary to go towards, you know, promoting things or whatever, instead of just a small part of it. Um, and just, you know, given all of the said, hey, the university, he's going to give half his salary for this year to this rather than, okay, we're going to give a little bit there. And then really the program saving some money. I would have liked to see all of that go to a worthy cause. But I think, I mean, it's resolved. It's obviously going forward. And I think whenever Whittingham retires, I mean, he's not the head coach in waiting anymore, but he will still be the top guy on the list unless that happens after this season. You know, if it's three, four five years from now and he's no one's probably going to remember this really. Jeff, I want to throw this to you now. I kind of want to, you know, just adjust the question a little bit. You know, as you're following along this, as you're here locally, uh, you know, and as you're following along, you're, you interact with a lot of Utah fans. Just from, from your viewpoint and, uh, and, and just with everything, do you feel like Utah did this the right way? Um, that's a kind of a two part answer for me. Yes. And no. Um, first I abhor cancel culture. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I read not too long ago that people are wanting to cancel the Nickelodeon, like the Nick jr. Show Paw Patrol because there is a cop dog. (laughs) And so they want to wipe the show out completely because there's a cop dog. And so it's like, no, we can't have anything police. We got to get rid of the kids show. Kids can't learn about police and dogs. It's asinine, right? So regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum of things, uh, I think that cancel culture is, is asinine because, frankly, it, it eliminates the possibility for progression. Um, if you do something stupid 10 years ago, you can't ever overcome that. It's something stupid. It was done 10 years ago, and you are forever stupid. And it totally annihilates the possibility that anybody can move forward. And the hypocrisy in that is that uh, all of these movements, pick one, every single one of these movements, 10 years ago, the, the, the morality of the time was a little bit different. 20 years ago, certainly different. 50 years ago, vastly different. 
And it prohibits us as a society from moving forward because we're all constantly so worried about what people did so many years ago. So in that respect, I think Utah absolutely did the right thing in recognizing who Morgan Scally is today and what he has done over the course of his career at Utah, not, not, uh, not reducing his entire life into texts. I don't know if it was one text. I don't know if it was 10 texts. I don't know how rampant this was throughout the program, but not reducing his entire life into this one aspect of, of Morgan Scally. He's a good man. He's helped far more people than I'm sure he's offended. Does that make it okay? No, of course not. But we shouldn't wipe out all of the good that is Morgan Scally because of the bad. I look at it like if you know if, if perfect equals a hundred percent, and Morgan Scally, I don't know, was he was he sixty percent there? Was he eighty percent there? I don't know, but he was a pretty good dude, right? And to me, wiping out the majority of he's a good dude because of that ten percent, twenty percent of the you know the small part that wasn't good is asinine. So yeah, Utah got that part right. Garrett kind of alluded to it, though. The, the punishments that Utah handed down are asinine. Like, they're, they're as ridiculous as cancel culture, frankly. I look at it, and the first one, it sounds a lot bigger than it really is. That, okay, he had a $1.1 million salary, and he's gonna, it's going to be cut in half down to $525,000. Okay, well, really, that's what he was making a year ago. So, really, you're just backing out the raise that he got six months ago, and you're going to delay it because it's only a one-year term and he's just going to get another raise a year from now. So like, okay, that $500,000, he hadn't recognized that yet. Doesn't come out of his pocket yet. Why are we even doing it? If that was the point, the next thing uh, he has to meet with the leadership board of the, the, the diversity group at Utah. Okay. We all saw that coming. That's going to be a, that's you know, the equivalent of going to, to traffic school after you get too many speeding tickets, you go, you sit, you pay your time in the meetings and you move on. And then the last thing, uh, the hundred thousand dollars, is going to be donated to whatever those, those groups are that, that fight for this cause. What are the other $400,000 from his salary that you are just putting it in your pockets? Like, so the punishment to me was ridiculous. If you're going to do a punishment, do a punishment. Like make it hurt. If you're not, then don't do it. Like the, the PR spin job was just that. It was a, a PR spin job. Uh, I think they got it right. I think Scally absolutely should have been back. I would have respected Utah a lot more. Uh, I respect Utah for ignoring cancel culture. I would have respected Utah more if they would have really ignored cancel culture and said, hey, look, we've done an investigation. We think he's good. We're going to keep him on board, period. And that's, that's it. The fact that they had to appease any group of give him this pound of flesh that really isn't anything, I think is kind of dumb. But so overall, I think they made the right decision. They got to the right place. But I kind of laughed at, at some of the consequences that were handed down. Cam, I'm, I'm interested to get your comments following that. Uh, just that's something that we talked about, um, you know, in our text thread. You know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on what happens, the, the punishment and that, all that? Yeah, I, I was actually texting Garrett about it earlier today, too, and kind of said, I, 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 us, I do think Utah, I think Utah made the right decision. Um, ultimately, I think bringing him back was the right call. But I definitely feel underwhelmed by the response. Um, I, I, I am a bit of a liberal weenie, of course, so I, I obviously uh, was, was more inclined to, um, to be offended by his comments than, than maybe some others would be. But, but no, I think that 
I think that it was the right move to bring him back. I think that the number one thing for me was what is the current player support? And if you read the report, it was very clear. Current players want him back. Um, I don't think there was any discussion there. I was a little bit troubled by some of the other things in the report, kind of like Garrett mentioned that, um, yes, there were, there were no other instances that could really be, um, that could really be confirmed of, of him using it other than the one time that was mentioned using that word, um, but that there was some other questionable behavior. Um, which I thought was, I don't know, in, interesting and, and enlightening. But um, I I felt kind of underwhelmed by the response because I, like Jeff said, where's the other $400,000? To me, that, that sounded like a cost-saving measure by the university, um, that they were using this as an opportunity to get $400,000 off their books for this year. And like... I think that obviously there are other circumstances that make that appealing for them, um, but that it's it's a pretty tough look for the university at, during this time. Um, I, I and I do think that frankly, I, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't suspended um, during for any type of in-season play of any kind. I, I don't know what I was really expecting, um, but in hindsight, I almost feel like um, maybe some you know, lack of sideline, uh, lack of sideline allowance or something like that. Maybe he had to coach from a booth or maybe he had to be, you know, a practice only coach or something like that for a certain amount of time is kind of what I was expecting so that it wasn't just like Jeff said, you've got to go back to your, the only salary you've had to this point. You've got to go back to that um, temporarily, might I add, because it did just say the one year and you've got to, you know, do the do the PR stuff like the the diversity classes and you, I don't know I will say his his comments on the call he was obviously very emotional and they seemed very sincere um, I, I that does mean a lot to me because I don't know that the type of emotion he was showing is something that he could have just turned on um, I do believe that he is very sorry for what he did um, and I do believe in people growing up and, and changing over the course of, you know, the better part of a decade. And so I, I ultimately think that the, you made the right choice and Mark Harlan, um, Ruth Watkins, um, all those involved made the right choice in bringing him back. Um, but my initial reaction was I still don't quite feel like um, he has, he was given a punishment that, that felt uh, appropriate for our current environment. I, I wanted to interject with a quick question here, because I think this is a good group to ask this. If Utah had suspended him for the first game of the season, would that have created a bigger firestorm over the whole thing? Because it would have been the BYU game. And, and I, like, I'm not saying that Morgan Scally is the key to Utah beating BYU or, or vice versa, but. No, that's Kyle Winningham. <laughs> we know what that is. <laughs> There's no argument on my end of things, but I, I, I'm curious if, if any of you guys think that that's something that would have been, um, you know, a factor if they had suspended him for the Utah or for the BYU game. If it had been one game, um, I think it would have been laughable. <laughs> like if they would have said you're suspended for the first game, like that is the Alabama star quarterback is suspended for the first drive level of suspension for what we're talking about, talking about, like, if he was going to be suspended, it needed to obviously be more than one game. 
Um, so I don't know. It's, it's kind of a tough hypothetical for me in that case, because if he had been suspended to me, I'm saying if it's anything less than half the season or more, then it's just for show, especially in a season that might not even happen. Like who knows? (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of in that same boat that if, if if it would have been less than a year, don't do it. And that's what I mean at the, at the beginning, kind of in my thoughts. That if you're going to do a punishment, you got to do a punishment that matters. You've got to actually hurt him, right? I mean, not like hurt him physically, but you've got to make it that, that he feels it. Like, what is, the, what is the whole reason behind a punishment? I think about it with my kids. It's not just to levy a punishment so that I can say I punished them. It's so that they have an action that is serious enough or a consequence that is serious enough that they understand that the action that they took was wrong and they don't do that again, right? So taking away this mythical money that he hasn't received yet, like, okay, great. So I just live the same life that I've lived for so long? Like, eh, not that big of a deal. It would have had to have been significant. It would have had, he would have had to go without something uh, for a significant amount of time so that he recognized, so that that punishment could really get through to everybody that, hey, this, this was a big deal. Uh, and like I say, I, I abhor cancel culture. I think it was dumb. I think that Morgan has done a lot of good things since then. So uh, I, I wish they would have just done, honestly, no punishment at all and just come out and said, hey, the investigation says he's a good guy. Current players say he's a good guy. His current coaches say he's a good guy. We're going to roll with he's a good guy, folks, and that would have been the end of it. Um, that, that's kind of my thought. Oh, One-game suspension would have been dumb. BYU game or not, it's, it's a waste of time. Uh, I mean, Utah fans know, right? Like you, you hear the, the BYU player that breaks the honor code in the offseason and then they're suspended for like a quarter. It's stupid, right? It's a joke. And so why would you do the same thing? In my mind, it's either you either go in or you don't do it at all. Yeah, I really, sorry, just to kind of, I really liked what Cam said about talking, especially to the current players and kind of the former players. Cause I mean, I agree with what Jeff and Cam were saying where the suspension was kind of milk toast. Like it's either go big or do nothing, but the, let me pee the PR flag to try to just appease something. I don't like that, but it's really, it's, I don't think we should be like, I wasn't involved with the situation. I can have an opinion on it, but what I think about it and what any fan thinks about it shouldn't matter because it wasn't, he didn't do it to the fans. He didn't do it to anyone who was involved with the players. So whatever the players think, like their opinion is what should drive it. And so it was very good that that is ultimately what the program and the university went back to and what they used to make their final, final decision on, okay, where does Morgan Scally stand with the program? Because it doesn't really, you know, like my opinion doesn't matter. None of your opinions matter. It really matters. The guys that are playing for him and around him every day, what do they think? You know, what did the other coaches on the staff think? And that's who should get to decide. And that's ultimately what happened. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree, Garrett. And, and sorry, Brian. Go. Um, I, it was, it was very telling that they were the leadership council, the players, were the last group to meet with Whittingham and Harlan, who were the final decision makers in this process. Um, they had basically the last say after the investigation um, completed and, and they turned over everything to Harlan and Witt. Uh, the next step was was talking to the players and getting the vibe and getting the idea of, of how badly they wanted him back. And, uh, and, According to the people I've talked to, like obviously it sounds like they wanted him back and it, it was made that that point was made in the report as well. And so, you know, you made the point earlier, Garrett, that the player that that received that text ultimately ended up at Utah and you know, and he's tweeted out that there are no hard feelings and and or anything like that. And and that to me is more telling than anything else. And I think this all comes down to, you know, what what is Scally, you know, actually guilty of here and and really it's 
that he he sent a text to a kid you know that included a term that you know none of us should should ever say and it should not be as a part of our vocabulary but i i think the investigation turned out uh to, to really kind of point in his favor. Yes. Like the, the joke that you guys pointed out was, um, was not something that you wanted to see in that, but I think ultimately, you know, they, they got this right in my opinion. And, and so, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I, that's what I got, Brian. I was going to ask you, Steve, cause you've been following this incredibly closely and, and been super on top of the story. Like as you've gone through it, have you felt like, the message has changed at all or, or like kind of talk about a, a little bit about like the ebbs and flows and, and knowing what's going, what's been going on with all of this. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting. So I think first and foremost, like you guys have talked about it, that first weekend where, you know, the news broke on Friday and then all the players, um, you know, made their cases, tweeted out their experiences, voiced their opinions, um, the athletic article came out. Chris Camrani had a great article that kind of summarized uh, their stories, uh, which was great, uh, a, a tremendous read, and, and really kind of provided some insight into how these players felt. And, you know, from that point on, uh, it, it really started to trend um, the the opposite way, the, the you know, in favor of Scally from that point on. Once the players, you know, got out what, you know, their their frustrations with Scally, you know, as the investigation continued on, it really seemed like there was growing optimism uh, that that Scally was going to return, that things were were turning out to work in his favor through this process. Uh, it was mentioned in the report that many of the accusations uh, alleged against him uh, were actually debunked through the the investigation process that it just didn't add up according to the players that were interviewed, uh, the players that were named and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, over the, over the weekend is when I kind of heard that it was very, very likely he was returning. Um, and, and that, but, uh, and so we, we tried our best to kind of, you know, let, let the story come out as it did and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting following it. I think, you know, I, I, didn't talk to too many. I didn't talk to many players about Scally at all. Uh, but it was interesting, kind of following along. Uh, some of them tweeted out some some big uh, tweets that you know were you could you could kind of draw conclusions from on, on how they felt about the whole thing. But I think overall, it it definitely trended the the you know in favor of Scally as we got closer to this date. I I got a quick question for for both Jeff and Garrett on this. I, I think as BYU fans. Let, let me flip the script. If, if I was a Utah fan and I saw this happen to a BYU coach or someone from the coaching staff, I genuinely think that uh, a lot of Utah fans would have been very um, petty is probably the best they'd way to say it. They'd have been stoked. Yeah. And, and I just – I think BYU fans in general, I didn't see, you know, all of it, but I think for the most part they were very – um, understanding and, and, you know, not wants to go rush to judgment and things like that. Um, is BYU fans, like, did you kind of – does Scally being the guy who, who got – I don't want to say got caught, but Scally being the one who kind of – the first one to go through with this whole experience and this new era that we're living in, basically, does that, to you guys, play 
someone in how you thought about it or is it just that the the mindset has changed completely now for everybody and anytime this happens at a program we're all just going to have to hold our breath and hope that nothing gets uncovered at ours you know brian my initial thought going into that weekend was okay kalani satake was on that staff elisa tuyaki was on that staff even jay hill up at weber state was on that staff aaron roderick was on that staff you know there's a lot of coaches throughout the state that have ties to you know that 2013 2014 era of uh, utah football and so it's you know was this a bigger thing because i think definitely i don't think there's any possible way that kyle whittingham didn't know about it given the fact that scally got on a plane as soon as he set back foot in utah got on a plane and went back to the recruits house to meet with them again i think whittingham definitely knew about it um and so I'm assuming that other defensive coaches also would have known about it, you know, and it would have come up in staff meetings. And so there was some level of awareness. And I'm assuming that at the time, from their perspective, it was just, you did what? That was literally the stupidest thing. Like, you know better than that. Like, go do it. Okay, you fixed it with him. Don't do ever do anything like that ever again. And it was just, it was done in the past. And it was, you know, and if it was probably anybody else other than Morgan Scally, then the punishment would have been a lot more severe, but it was, you know, he kind of, he owned it with the person in question directly to their face with that player's family. And so that's obviously the most important person in this whole equation. Um, So that was kind of my biggest thing. And, you know, does this spill over to, you know, how does this affect other staff at multiple other schools in the state? Yeah. Yeah, When the news first broke, I was a little bit shocked that we didn't hear more about that, about, who all was on the staff, who was connected. Because like we said, he flew out back to the recruits house the same day. He was a position coach at the time. There's no way he made that call by himself to, to make that flight out. Um, other people probably knew. Like, I, I don't know. I, it's. It, in some like conversations said, that I had had, um, it did not appear to me like this was a big surprise to some people that had been on the staff there for a while. So I don't think it was one of those things. It wasn't necessarily covered up, but I also don't think it was any kind of a secret that he would had to do that, right? But what changed in that course of time is is literally how we respond to these activities, like Jeff was saying, where now we just decide to cancel everything because somebody said a word or did something based on actions seven or 10 or however many years ago. I think Garrett made the best point of all when he said, okay, is this, you know, we had an event in 2013. There may have been something in, you know, a little later on. What's happened in the time between that? Has he, you know, uh, made changes this that and the other and I think that's what's really come out in in his defense is both the players former players you know the leadership council all endorsed him and and I think you know you even saw Utah get a commitment today from a a wide receiver in in Texas which is traditionally Scally's recruiting area now uh, he's been suspended so he's not been uh, doing any of that kind of activities but I think that's also a bit of a reaffirmation you know that that this is uh, this is a an incident that people are willing to be understanding with as long as he shows progress and change. I think the other thing about this, the punishment that's interesting to me is the fact that his deal, which was multi-year, is now down to just basically the one, right? Am I missing that on anyone? anyone? I Killer? think that's how I read it was that yeah. it would be a one-year – deal and so i'm assuming that they would either have to renegotiate a multi-year extension at the end of the season or 
they'll just reinstate the deal that he agreed to. Cause I mean, he hadn't even coached under that cause it was agreed upon less than six months ago. Good point. And then that's why we have Garrett on here because he is smart and knows things as cam is smart and says things. Um, but I think that's, you know, that is a punishment in a sense. It, and you kind of, it also gives Utah some leeway too. If, if things devolve and they do show that this, has a bigger presence on the recruiting trail or whatever happens, I think it gives them some wiggle room so that if something more does come up, they can just bail on the whole the whole thing. Um, I was told that this was a very in-depth uh, investigation that they went back very, very far into his past. And so, so I think that the odds of something else being uncovered down, you know, from the past are, are rare, but what really it, it focuses in on is what is your behavior going forward? And I think, you know, from his apology, Morgan was incredibly contrite. And if there's anybody who can take the negative from this and build on it and, and be better, it's Morgan Scally in my mind. Um, but it's the crazy part about it is, is I think that's how intertwined this state is now from a football perspective. It's, it's not just, you know, if Kalani does something or if something comes up with Kalani, it's not just BYU that's affected. It's now Utah, it's Weber state, it's Utah state. Like, like the Lavelle coaching tree has basically changed, you know, dropped a branch to Kyle and Kyle's the new tree in state. It's, it's all for the most part. I, I mean, Paul Peterson at Dixie state and uh, Demetrius Warren at, at SUU, other than those two, it's, it's all Kyle people. And, and that's the crazy aspect. And so I, I think we're so intertwined now with everything and I'm just rambling. So I'm just going to stop. Let somebody else take over. I don't want to break. I mean, this is a serious conversation, but it feels like this is really serious. And I want to bring just maybe a little levity, not to the aspect or the, the issue at hand, but I just saw every every Ute's favorite fan, Ben Criddle, <laughs> tweet, and I want to know if the rest of you guys are also sociopaths and do this. Apparently, he yes. dumps at the bottom of a chip, a tortilla chip bag. He dumps it into a bowl, and then he puts salsa in that bowl, mixes it up with a fork and eats the bottom of the chip bag like that. Am I the only one who thinks that's psychotic? That no. makes no sense. That's weird. That it's nice it's nice of you to uh to read Ben's tweet to us since we wouldn't have been able to see it otherwise. Um but uh no I uh, listeners I, can us <laughs> on the view. This is a podcast meant for other people. Visual yeah, medium. I'm saying no, I'm I'm being appreciative because the listeners of the broadcast won't be able to see his tweet. No, they per won't the, per the rules of Twitter. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um but no, that's that is sociopathic behavior and uh on brand. If I may say so, the pitcher seeing it in person, it's just like, oh my gosh! Like yeah, he's using a fork it's... too. If you're I gonna, thought it was like that, a first. If I wonder. Cancel do you think something in this culture? It should be that. Do you think if it's more like he's like, I really want to eat this salsa with a spoon, but that's weird. So yeah. he's like, I'll put some tortilla crumbs on there some tortilla chip crumbs on there and then it'll be okay. Yeah. Do you have anything else on Scally? Cause I think this is a perfect transition point to talk about. Are we going to have football or not? Um, I think that I'm looking at this chip thing and it, it might be a sign of the times. Honestly. That's exactly the point that I'm trying to make. If Criddle's posting this on Twitter, we're getting into the real nitty gritty about whether or not this thing's going to happen. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I don't know, man, it looks bleak. 
Um, I mean, say what you will about the virus, like speaking of whether or not there's going to be football, like there's varying opinions and, and who even knows what to believe because Tony Fauci has said every single one of the opinions at one point. So I don't know what to believe, but uh, I, I have a hard time actually seeing colleges with amateur athletes I mean, you know, amateurs in quotations, but amateur athletes that don't get paid, I have a hard time seeing any university actually taking that risk unless something happens in the next, I don't know, 60 days, I guess we're down less than that, like 30 days really before the beginning of August that can somehow clear the way for any liability to fall on these universities if some athlete does die or does get super sick. It's really hard for me to see a school like, you know, a small school, you know, Utah State, like how, how are they going to be able to afford the liability if one of those players gets hurt? Or some of these schools that are in financial trouble, Washington State, Cal, uh, UCLA, if they have a huge lawsuit because an outbreak happens, like, I, I honestly don't know how, I, I don't know how amateur athletics happens. Pro sports where the athletes are under contract. They're getting paid. They're employees. That's a different ball game. Pro sports are going to happen. I don't know how amateur athletics happens this fall unless something dramatically changes in the next 30 days. Especially if the classes are all online. If you don't have any students on campus, it's going to be even harder to make that happen. And I think it will be really interesting to see because, I mean, we're two weeks out now to where they, I mean, fall camp, they expanded it this year to be six weeks instead of four, we're two weeks away from fall practices supposed to be starting across the country at the same time where we're seeing the first wave of this virus go through the states where it wasn't really big before. And so, I mean, you have some schools like Clemson reported that last week and they got like a third of their team is already tested positive where other schools, you know, so, but it really is ultimately the odds are if every single player in the country got it, obviously being at their age and their level of fitness, the chances of something happening are still statistically low, but with how many college athletics programs there are, there would be at least one or two that maybe had some type of undiagnosed preexisting condition or just, you know, it wouldn't be a ton, but there would be a couple and that would blow up to be a very huge thing. And, you know, and it would probably bankrupt, you know, if it happened at a smaller school, especially like a D3 school, it would bankrupt their entire athletic department and they wouldn't function anymore. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of D3 programs and entire conferences just say, we're not doing fall sports at all. But I think there's too much money. And even if it's a half in the fall and a half in the spring type season, there's too much money, at least at the FBS level. And they need that money coming in to keep things afloat at a lot of schools. And it's not just, you know, the Utah States is like you said, it's, pretty much almost every single school is operating at a loss and they need a lot of money coming in. Yeah. I think I, uh, I personally think if we start the season on time or we're close to on time within a couple of weeks, right. I think that we're looking at an NBA type situation where it's hard for me to believe that we won't get five or six weeks into the season and have a team or a league, like have a, a huge outbreak. To where you're like, yeah, there was 80 players in the Pac-12 diagnosed this weekend um, after four weeks of games, and then they just shut it down and until further notice, like we saw the NBA do. So, I I think we're probably gonna have a season because, like Garrett said, there's too much money to not try to have one. Um, but I think that 
I don't know. I think I think there will be. We haven't seen one yet. I don't think. Um, but I think that we're gonna have one, uh, one at least Power Five school not do it. I think there will be at least one school before the season starts who says we're not gonna do this. We can't afford the liability, or we have too many people at risk, or our president of our university says if we don't have students on campus, we can't have football. Um, and yeah, I. I think we're making a lot of assumptions on July 1st of what's going to happen on September 1st, which, I mean, would you guys have guessed what was going to happen on July 1st on May 1st? I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? Is like, it's ebbed and flowed seemingly every week. Uh, one week we're feeling optimistic. The next it's, oh, hell, batting down the hatches, shelter up. Like, it's, it's so, you know, I don't know that we can, what we say now may not be accurate you know, tomorrow, next week, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's just a crazy situation. I want to ask you guys, do you guys think that just because, you know, Utah, BYU, Utah State, they're not releasing names, do you think schools should be required to release names of of tests, positive tests, that kind of thing? No. No, that's personal medical information. Yeah. They don't need to release that. I'm with them as well. I don't think you need to release names. I do think that for public schools, you do need to release maybe like cases, like positive cases, like a number. Um, but at the same time, like we were talking earlier, the, the numbers and, and, and what Fauci said and gone back and forth on, like Jeff's not wrong. Like, like he did a 60 minutes interview where he told people not to wear masks. And now we're like on this massive campaign trying to get everybody to wear masks again. But I, I don't know that that's all Fauci's fault. Um, but I think that's the problem is that we're dealing constantly with this evolving information. And it's the, the way it's not like when you create a defensive game plan, right? Where you can analyze and isolate and say, okay, this team does this, 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 and this. So we can stop B, C, and D. And this is how we can do it. What it is is that we're, it's like Urban Meyer has introduced the virus version of the spread offense and college football is the rest of the world throwing up their hands saying, well, we don't know what to do. Maybe we can try this. And we're just throwing things out there to see what works. And so I think with things going like they are, and we're always trying to evolve and figure things out, you know, Garrett made a good point. Like these are young kids. These are fit athletes. They're getting fed well now. Um, You know, they're, they're being monitored. I know that Utah is very, very, uh, on the cusp of, of, of sports science and what and monitoring their athletes like when they're in practice and, and everything like that. Um, I don't know if BYU does the same. I would expect that they're probably no. <laughs> if it's not on a spreadsheet, BYU can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you brought up the point of, of poor defensive game plans, and I'm currently watching the BYU Utah game from last year. And Jeff, we haven't had you on since you know the show, the, the debate. And, you know, just I, I've been wanting to ask you, what the hell was up with that defensive game plan last year? Like a, a defense just of a thousand cuts rather than one sweeping, you know, swipe? Like what was that defense? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, the idea behind the drop defense <laughs> is that eventually everybody's going to get bored. I mean, I think that the, what the coaches say is that, look, we're going to make them make a mistake and we're going to drop eight into coverage. It's going to be really tough. But I think, honestly, it's really just this, this whole notion that Elisa Tuiaki had that if we can just make the offense so bored because things are coming so easy that they actually think they're running like skeletons, maybe they just will stop trying so hard. 
And I think that's where, where they got, you know, it worked against USC. USC. It did. It's so boring. Like Toledo. They were like, no way. We're motivated all the way through. This is Toledo. We don't have any other choice, but to be engaged in this game. And so they were all, I couldn't do anything about it. So Jeff, I philosophy. I don't want to say it was a bad philosophy. It wasn't good, but it was a philosophy. I think that some of our listeners are going to think you're being tongue-in-cheek, but I think you're right. (laughs) I I legitimately believe that that is true, that college offensive coordinators are like, I don't give a damn if I've got the seven-yard route. I want the 20-yard route. This is what we built. I'm going to throw it. And, like, that's USC kept trying it. And Andy Ludwig was just like, no, I'm going to take five-yard runs a hundred times. I think ultimately, uh, Lisa Tuliaki had listened to a lot of, like, 1280. Are we allowed to say, Brian, on the podcast, I don't know if I'm allowed to say names like that, but had listened to a lot of local (laughs) sports talk radio. And, you know, they had heard things about how Utah really doesn't care about the BYU game. It's all about the Pac-12 season. That's what everything's all about, Pac-12, Pac-12, Pac-12. And so Eliza was just like, hey, guys, if we come out, they're already going to have this vanilla offense. If we come out in this super vanilla defense, maybe we'll get, like, the really vanilla offense from Utah. And then, bam, that's when we pounce. And I think that ultimately he just bought into the hype. Like, Eliza Tuiaki knows Pac-12 is all that matters. It's all over the bumper stickers, the billboards. Every time he comes out, he sees Pac-12 country. I mean, it's part of society in Utah. We get it. So I think it was just a different approach. Uh, Ultimately, they didn't pay off, and I'm really curious to see where they go this year. But, you know, hats off for going in and thinking outside of the box. You'd like to have them a little closer to the box, but hats off for trying. I'm going to put my hat back on right now because Jeff just re-owned the broadcast. I mean, I'm being sincere a little bit, right? I mean, it is a little tug-in-cheek. But if anybody watched BYU last year, (laughs) it's the only logical explanation, Steve, to answer your question, is that they were hoping for some sort of intervention from either boredom or God or somebody that was just going to drastically change the offensive game plan of their opponents. And it worked against USC. And, you know, and the really funny thing is it, it didn't work against Tennessee. Tennessee was getting like seven yards a carry on outside zone runs. But Tennessee inexplicably just decided to stop running that play. It was, it was insane. So Yeah, what really worked great against Tennessee was Tennessee shooting themselves consistently in the foot. <laughs> it was so shocking. Tennessee was just straight. Anyway, this isn't. Uh, I mean, what, what are we kidding? This is going on the Given Hell Brigham podcast as well. So, yeah, this is a BYU show. We could talk a little bit about that. Uh, I don't know what Tennessee was doing, frankly. We haven't talked about it enough. And, frankly, I'd like to hear a lot of the Utah fans' opinions. I know you all watched, and I'm really curious to hear what you guys had to say. That's Did you. I watch the game? I can't remember Nothing. if I watched the game. Oh, I watched that game. I, Did I, you, you watch that game? Obsessed. You're obsessed. We know you watched it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you. That's why obsessed is spelled with a U. Tennessee, I think, fell into the trap of we're running the ball really well, but my play sheet says that we need to be 55-45 run pass, and so that means we got to throw the ball a bunch in the second half. 
and I mean that doesn't explain what they were defensively though. <laughs> like that, like that was where it really just like it opened up for me. Like they were, I have no clue. Well, you're right, Cam. Like that was just a game where Tennessee like outcoached themselves, and BYU's like, oh, you don't want to win this? Okay, well we do. So we're gonna go ahead and take it, and that's kind of what happened for me. Like by the time it got to overtime, I was like, there's no way, there's no way Tennessee gets this. Like BYU had the momentum. They'd established the ground game, you know, and it, like, I don't know, man. Isn't that the game where what's his face threw a, a cleat off the field? Is that the game? <laughs> Zach Dawes. Yes. That's the game. Yes. <laughs> yes. What a legend. That was he actually that thing. highlight reel for the year because it was uh, the pinnacle of the season. And oh, there's man. a have you, there's a video of that because obviously it was Zach Wilson threw a hail mary to Micah Simon and someone cut it up to where it was the cleat Zach Goff throws it and then that ends up being the ball that Micah Simon catches. I love the internet. That is fantastic, Garrett. How optimistic are you that BYU can overcome that van- very very just trying to out vanilla the vanilla offense defensive approach. I don't know because it's it was very different than what we saw the first three years. Like the first year in 2016 with Elias Tuiaki as defensive coordinator, it was very aggressive and you know similar. It was obviously they've switched from a three four to a four three, but still about as aggressive as what we saw from the Mendenhall defenses. And then in 2017, the offense was so bad you had to back off a little bit just because you couldn't take that risk. And then 2018 kind of got back to it and it was fine, but then. There was just that huge step back. So I honestly, I do not understand why there was the wholesale change in approach because it, that's not what the staff did the first three years they were there. And even if, I mean, you take two pick sixes off the board, it's still a close game last year. And so it's, you know, it there wasn't a need to even play that vanilla of a defense, you know, as, I mean, it was Zach, Wilson scored more points against BYU than Utah did almost like it's (laughs) so it's I it was completely bizarre and I know it was the most hammered thing all season long of why do we keep doing this every single game when we've never done this before and it's was frustrating because the defense took a very huge step back so I don't know if they just felt like they didn't they were missing some piece that they had the year before or they thought something was going to be different like and they planned the whole offseason and the whole install was built around not being able to trust the linebackers and so they're like we need to drop more to cover up the linebacking deficiencies and then oh they end up being pretty good but we can't do a full new install now in the middle of the season I don't know what it is it I'm still wondering and I hope we never see it again. Well, I think the biggest thing is that once a team figured out that they could expose the downhill run against them with the, with the drop eight, then it was game over. And it just so happened to be that it was Washington who was a terrific downhill running team. You know, they they were – the concept was fine initially, right? Because I think it got – you know, Utah was probably a bad opponent to introduce it because Utah was going to run the ball no matter what because that offense was built around Zach Moss. I think the opposite to that is that – against USC it got the result you wanted Tennessee for whatever reason just did not adapt at all to it I don't know if it was like like Cam was saying where they were just convinced like well the call sheet says we need to be at 55 percent it's a non-conference game we got to get the work in and so they just assumed they were gonna win um is that my cue to shut up (laughs) no sorry that was my fault my fault (laughs) Steve was playing you off (laughs) sorry that's my bad the academy but like yeah the the problem all right get out of here 
Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm gonna finish. Oh, Let me were... finish. Okay. Steve had the best go? part of the day. You're gonna finish. finish. Go uh, ahead, finish. So, like, I think it was fine, but they never evolved it into anything else. And then it was like all of a sudden, Washington's like, "Okay, you're gonna keep doing that. Well, we're just gonna run downhill." And then it was jailbreak, and it was done. Right. And then not having anything to pivot to, I think, is really what sunk them. And and that's, I think, that's where great coaching staffs and great teams are built. Is, is being able to adapt and evolve into the next progression and the next step. And, and I think that's where Utah dead ended last year is that they could never really go fully into the next step against Oregon and Texas and, and uh, maybe USC. I don't know. I'm, I'm still on the fence with that one. And that's where BYU, I think, really just – like once that – that's the part that I think was troubling for me is that once you – got exposed and, and teams were starting to run downhill and just open up these holes and gash you, you didn't do anything to change. And then, then it was like, well, now we're going to go with the forefront. And now we're going to do this and now we're going to go to that. And you're scrambling mid season. So I think that's the part to me, you know, just as an outsider looking at it is like, if you don't have a pivot plan after that, it's fine to take risks like that. Right. But you got to go back to something that's your base. And, and there was just never, I mean, that was it. Brian, you bring up exposure and, and no player got more exposure than Bursch Marshman on the Ute Zone broadcast last season. Uh, the legend that is Burst Marshman, uh, just a tremendous talent. He returns this season uh, for BYU. Um, I, you guys are looking at me like you don't know what I'm – you guys are you guys familiar with the legend that is Burst Marshman? Not as familiar as I should mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, he um, – Missing something. Probably the number one mentioned person in, uh, in anything to do with our podcast. Um, I'll give you the background. Um, I forgot Matt Bushman's name during a podcast last year. (laughs) And so he became Bursch Marshman um, and has thus been so. Um, And by the way, just just to follow up on this, BYU and Tennessee kicked off 30 minutes before LSU and Texas last year, and that's why we didn't watch. Oh, that's right. That's right. I knew a yeah. I knew I'm pretty sure the broadcast watched that game together, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, the Texas LSU game. Mm-hmm. We only had we only had one TV, Brian. Yeah, we I didn't know. have two. I'm pretty sure I switched and watched the the end on my phone. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter. It was last I've year. Derailed us. Burst Marshman. Burst Marshman. But but Burst Marshman is back. How confident are you guys in his ability to kind of carry the uh, the passing game? this uh this season is is zach wilson going to be the quarterback throwing him the ball or is it going to be uh uh what's his face uh shoot jaron hall i mean who even knows right we can pretend like we know but nobody expected the defense to just come out and stand around it was like little giants so i mean who really even knows (laughs) it'll be zach wilson um for sure like any any talk of a quarterback controversy is shenanigans it's going to be Zach Wilson. Uh, I think the only only debate that'll happen throughout fall camp is does Zach get a does he get a two game leash? Does he get a six game leash? Right? I think that's what he's playing. For. Sorry. Ooh. So so I think cancel cancel Steve. <laughs> uh, no. And Sorry. I, I I told Steve this was just off the record, but as long as we're canceling Steve, about twenty minutes before the show. <laughs> oh hell. 17 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, and Eric Schneider, if you're listening to this, I don't even know if you're a football fan, but I hope you're listening to this. We Good were a friend of the program, Eric Fires Schneider. Bluff Youth Golf League. Steve. West Point, Utah. In West Point, Utah. 
And throughout the summer, once or twice a week, we'd wake up at like 5 a.m., we'd go golf, and it was like this practice thing leading up. I found a turtle there. You did find a turtle there. And we had great times on the golf course. And it ultimately, all of it culminated into a tournament at the end of the year or at the end of the summer. So for like three months, we'd been waking up at the same time on the same days, and we'd been golfing with the same foursome. And then all of a sudden on tournament day, Steve has this mystery doctor's appointment. Like nobody I had this thing on I had this growth on my foot. I Yeah, okay, a growth on your foot. And so yeah, he, gotta get it checked. He, he couldn't make the, the tea time in the morning. And so he somehow finagled his way into an afternoon tea time by himself. And Steve went from he was a 14-year-old when we, we we all suck. We were shooting like 50, 55 most of the time. And even that was probably with a few foot wedges throughout the throughout the round. Steve, on this day, miraculously shot a four under. Thirty-two. Get it? We we could only drive the ball like hundred and eighty yards, and somehow. Steve, but it's the you you know you you kick the ball down the field, yeah, down the yeah. down the court or down so, the so golf Steve shoots thing. a four under. He turns in his scorecard. The guy gives him a dirty look. He gets a trophy. I think there was a cash prize. Maybe it wasn't. He he asked me. He asked me. He's like, "You shot four under, like." completely disapproving and in disgust that I turned my score that I could potentially, you know, shoot four under as a 14 year old chubby oh, he, white kid from Syracuse, Utah. Who is that guy to question, you know, my scorecard? Uh, he was the club pro is who he was. Questioning <laughs> was a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> and just to, uh, you guys know Steve Bartle today, Steve Bartle, 14-year-old looked like John Daly. Like, he was a little bit chubby, little bit doughy. We loved it. Cigarettes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was he was smoking prime times out there on the Yeah. I mean, it was just a... Doing hood rat things on the golf course. It was course. like, how the hell did this guy shoot a four under? It was insane. But he took... I don't think it was a cash prize. If I remember right, he got, like, free golf for X amount of time. Got an ice cream cone. And I learned the, today... Uh, clubhouse. 17 years later... Uh, he, he lied about the four under. He never shot a four under. I was shocked, frankly, but he never shot a four under. So if we're canceling it. Were you really shocked though? No. Were no, you really? No, no, yeah. No. Okay. Let's, no, no, none on. of us were shocked. We've all known for 17 years. I was just waiting for you to know. We all knew. Steve, how did you lose 12 balls and shoot a four under? <laughs> <laughs> you got 16. You bring 16. You bring the whole box there, Cam. That's the key. That's the key to four under. Anyways, thanks, Jeff, for uh, completely uh, ruining my potential golf career. I was yeah, just starting to turn the corner. On uh, Steve is the guy. And, uh, Steve is the guy in the tournament, like in the in the handicap tournament, where you're like, "Hey, I." They're like, what, "What's your handicap? What do you shoot?" And you're going to score against that. Who really shoots scratch? And he's like, "Ah, uh, ten over." <laughs> <laughs> he asked me, "What's my handicap?" And I'm like, "I'm not." <laughs> That's the best story I've ever heard is chubby Steve Bartle smoking prime times on a golf course. It was a sight to behold, my friends. Like that's a, and then we that went and got flavor burst from McDonald's. We did. Steve just taking part. sips off of a flask drinking prime times at 14. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Got a full Good beard times. still. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, 
How are we going to end this? That's show? usually the sign that it's time to close this out. <laughs> oh my the silly podcast, season gets guys. going. Yeah. Well, this uh, is the part of the show where Steve goes, Ooh, well, anything else, guys? <laughs> we're in mid-season form. This is we're hitting our stride here. First, first episode back. But Jeff, back, Garrett, we're, glad you had us on. Yeah, it, it was a pleasure having you on. Working, you know, if Utah fans want to punish themselves and listen to more Cougar talk, where can they find you guys? Yeah, we're the Give Mel Brigham podcast. We're on all the podcast apps: Apple, Google, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever they are. We're we're out on all all of them, um, and it's a good time. I mean, obviously, we talk BYU sports. That's that's what we're known for. Uh, but Garrett and I, if you don't know anything about us, it's that we can get lost in rabbit holes that have nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. Uh, we dig in. We, we try to take our podcast and, and highlight people who are just killing life, whether it's uh, getting new jobs or, or beating cancer. We have a segment where we focus on those people or somebody, a new person each week. Um, we, we talk a lot about what we're cooking that week. I think we have one official sponsor of the show, and uh, it's all related to our cooking. They couldn't care less about our football stuff. Uh, and so we, we talk a lot about non-sports. It's a lot of fun, Utah fan, BYU fan, or otherwise. Uh, I think we're, we, we have a good time over at Give Them Hell, Brigham. That's fantastic. I'm especially a fan of the Hellion of the Week. Yeah, it's a good time. Brian, maybe we will find something. We can nominate you one of these weeks. <laughs> if only well, I hope I'm not the only. I... I hope I'm not the only person that you guys have canceled on this sh- on this show of yours. This, I you just canceled my golf career. Like, is there a cancel segment? Do I need to tune into this? Where you cancel I mean, other be. people? Steve, uh, part of your reconciliation is to take ownership for your actions. You canceled yourself 17 years ago. <laughs> it's just now coming to light. And in fairness, okay, fair. I, I think we could just have a cancel Steve segment. Not, not every week, but you know, every couple of weeks. Steve and I have got we go so far back. I know enough stories about Steve. I don't know, yeah. Steve, if you even remember this story, but I remember I had. Oh hell no! Not another one, no, no, man. No, 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 one more, real quick. No, one come on, man. In ninth grade, everybody knew we liked each other. It was like this well broadcast thing. And then when we got together the one night in ninth grade, Steve walked home. I don't even know where he went. Lo and behold, he was pissed at me for getting with the girl that I liked because I guess he liked her too. We could, so we canceled that relationship. So we can talk about that a little bit too. There's a lot of things we can talk about. We got stories, man. This has been fun, guys. I appreciate you having us on. Let's do this again real soon. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's it's always a pleasure. We appreciate you so much. I, I hope that there's an opportunity that we can get together in, in the near future and, and do this legitimately and, and compare grill sizes and, and smoke our meats together and, and, and truly sample the, the bounties that the Lord has provided for all of us. This is a family show, Brian. <laughs> Jeez. Wouldn't be the youth on broadcast without at least one irreverent reference. All right. Well, we better sign off. This has been the youth on broadcast and the Give Them Hell Brigham podcast. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs>